Before we dive into today's episode, a quick note for all of our listeners. This is going to be the final episode of our second season. I want you to know that hosting Proud to Be You is one of the best parts of my job. And over the past two years, my colleagues and I have had the chance to speak with 49 incredible alumni from all walks of life in all corners of the world. My hope is that in bringing you these conversations, you might find yourself inspired by their stories and proud to be part of this incredible Boston University alumni network. As our second season comes to a close, I'd really like to hear your thoughts on the podcast. What have you enjoyed? What do you wish we did differently? And amidst all of the podcasts you could have been listening to, why did you choose Proud to Be You? Send me an email at jtmurphy at bu.edu. And whether you provide your feedback or not, please know how grateful we all are to have you as a listener. Now, let's get on with the show. From Boston University and BU Alumni Relations, welcome to Proud to Be You Around the World. I'm your host, Jeff Murphy, and this season, we're taking the podcast on the road to meet some of our most interesting and accomplished alumni navigating life and careers in cities across the globe. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome guest host Rukia Magege to the podcast. Rukia just graduated from the College of Communication with a degree in film and television. During her time at BU, she worked with us here in the alumni office, helping produce the Proud to Be You podcast. And we're so grateful for the opportunity to bring her out from behind the scenes. Rukia, thanks for hosting today's interview. Take it away. Today, my guest is Jay Rowey. Jay graduated from the College of Communication with a degree in television in 1979. After his time at BU, Jay built a distinguished career in the world of entertainment. And since 1994, he has been a driving force behind HBO's groundbreaking film, miniseries, and television productions. Today, he is the Senior Vice President of West Coast Productions at HBO, overseeing the physical production of the global programming that many of us know and love. He joined me on the podcast to reflect on his storied career and share a few insights as an industry insider on the future of entertainment. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about where you grew up. Were you interested in entertainment as a child? Yes, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. My father worked for DuPont. I was actually born in Pasadena, California, but my father got transferred back and so ended up literally from kindergarten up through 12th grade, grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. And I grew up very much as a musician along with all of my regular schoolwork and did get exposed a little bit to some television. I'll never forget in sixth grade, the school district we were in had a closed circuit television studio and I was playing a little band and they invited our band down to the TV studio. And I just was so impressed that day with these cameras and this little TV studio. And then two weeks later, they played the performance back in our classroom. And it was just, it seemed magical to me. And I think that was quite influential. And in fact, I'll never forget, I wrote a paper. We had a really, really wonderful teacher in sixth grade and he had us in our, our class write down who am I and you know what did we think we would grow into and what would our, our first choices were. And the first choice in sixth grade, I really wanted to be an airline pilot. But my second choice in sixth grade was, I hope I grew up to be a television executive. <laughs> and I pulled it out a couple of times, like, how did I even understand what a television executive was in sixth grade and so on and so forth. But clearly going in that TV studio left a strong impression on me. Yeah, that's incredible that you knew so early what you wanted to do. I think it was more of a guess, but somehow, uh, you know, once I, you know, I found that piece of paper and I was like, oh my goodness, I guess I saw into the future. So from Delaware, how did you end up at BU? What was your decision process like when it came to choosing a college? 
Yeah, it was pretty clear. I, I decided I wasn't going to be, become a professional musician, but I wanted to go to a school that had a, a good music program because I wanted to continue to at least study it or, or be involved with it. But I clearly wanted to go to, to a communication school. The Northeast was, was my focus, not really traveling beyond that. So I went up to Syracuse. I went up to Ithaca and went to BU. And I'll never forget the day I drove in. I was looking at all three schools and visited them. And I drove into Boston and literally before I even got to the campus, it was like, I want to go to school in this town. It just went off in me. And I was just like, I definitely want to go to school here. Of course, if I can get in and get accepted and so on and so forth. I don't think I even applied to Syracuse because it was just in the, felt like a little bit in the middle of nowhere. Ithaca was intriguing to me as a school and I did get in, but it was unquestionably, it was the idea of being in Boston and then, you know, traveling around and looking at the campus and so on, being kind of inside of a city. And again, having a great music program and a, and a very, very good, at the time, uh, School of Public Communications, as it was called, uh, that really swayed my vote. So I know you got your bachelor's degree in film and television, as did I. As we both know, the major has many paths for someone to take. Were there any specific classes or professors that you believe helped shape your path? There were three people, two whose name I remember, and the other person, I can't remember his name, but he still left a very strong impression. Uh, it was unquestionably, there was a gentleman named Dr. Murray Yeager, who is to this day one of the top professors that ever taught at the school. And uh, I had the fortune of actually being an assistant to him, a production assistant. And uh, he unquestionably changed my outlook on my career and my life. And I just feel like I had a mentor and a teacher uh, that I got extremely lucky about. Uh, he also won the, uh, the, the you know, every year they give out top teacher awards across the university and happened to be the year that I graduated. He won that uh, won that award. He had also done his doctorate in Edward R. Murrow, and he taught a lot of different classes. And I would go to one lecture after another after another of all these classes that he taught. So I feel like I got kind of a, a education on steroids getting a chance to work with him. Number two, there was a professor named Tim Cohane, and I'll never forget because he was my journalism one of my journalism professors, and I was scared to death of him, and he made us write and write copy for newspapers and magazines, and he was ruthless. And to this day, if I misspell a word, I can hear his voice. If um, if, if things aren't, the grammar is incorrect, uh, I can hear him, see him slashing across the paper. There was a little book called Elements of Style. I don't know if they still use it there, but I still uh, have copies of it. And to this day, even when I write a memo to somebody, um, I can hear his voice, you know, um, questioning why I'm writing it, or what do I really mean to say, et cetera. So those are probably the two within the School of Communications that unquestionably, uh, to this day, uh, leave very, very strong impressions. And then there was a third professor, I don't remember his name, but um, it was a class in aesthetics. And so what was so unique about this class is the professor taught us um, a Bach, took a Bach invention. He took an architectural class, uh, excuse me, an architectural building. I believe we took a screenplay and there was one other aspect of, of, of literally of life. And he talked about aesthetics and how form and substance and how things are designed and how they all kind of relate um, to the world. And it was one of the most esoteric classes I've ever taken. And to this day, the idea that there's something about architecture and a Bach prelude or invention have something in common because of its 
artistic design and structure and so on was just absolutely, uh, it's it just left this indelible points and, and, and ideas in my mind, you know, literally about creativity and practicalness and, and, and art, um, and so on. So, uh, just, just one of those classes, you just kind of like, that's what you go to college for is somebody to stretch your mind. And he most certainly did. And again, it was Murray Yeager told me, he goes, you should, you have an extra elective here, take this class. And, uh, just, just incredibly inspiring. Yeah, that class sounds really interesting. I wish I could have taken it. It also sounds like your professors were incredibly influential for you. They were. They, they were. And then the, the, the only class that to this day I do think about is I loved economics. And um, I didn't know why I liked economics. And I never really thought I liked economics. But I took those economics classes. And I always I said to the professor, I said, I really enjoy this class. I don't know why I like this class. And I'm still trying to understand exactly what you're teaching me, but I find it really interesting. So, you know, that aspect of economics and business, which obviously is a big part of what I do now, I fully credit BU for planting the seed of me that, you know, to understand business and management and and so on, along with a couple of other good classes on uh, screenplays and uh, screenwriting, which um, I don't, I'm not a good writer in that realm, but it certainly taught me how to appreciate good screenwriting and uh, structure from that standpoint. Absolutely. So along the lines of your economics class that you really enjoyed, were there any other college experiences, perhaps unrelated to film and TV, that you think helped make you a more well-rounded person? Absolutely. Uh, I ended up, I went down and volunteered at WTBU, and I was a, a disc jockey down there, and I became the co-music director uh, of, the, of the radio station for, I think it was for a good two years. And um, it, it taught me about uh, teamwork, taught me about working with people. The fact that you could actually get paid, like somebody actually people get paid to sit around and listen to music all day was actually kind of mind blowing to me. It did speak to me the fact that if you can be, that actually if you can somehow take something you're passionate about and somehow turn it into your job or some aspect of your job, that's pretty special. And so, you know, we were the little engine that could, we were just closed circuit. Uh, but we got all the record service from all the record companies in those days, college radio and still to a degree now, but even more so then, I mean, literally they would break acts on college radio. So literally we would get every single release every week, every week I'd have homework of have to have to go home and I have to go listen to 10 albums this weekend. That sounds like hard work. huh? And then obviously when the bands and musical acts came through town, they were always giving us free tickets. So I saw all kinds of people at the paradise and um, again, Sounds like a tough job, but <laughs> yeah. I, I had a blast. I also found WTBU to be an invaluable experience. So it's great to hear what your time there was like and that you enjoyed it just as much as I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I say that to people all the time. You, you go there, you're not only you're in an incredible town of Boston, but, you know, it's your extracurricular activities, which, you, you know, you, you meet new people, you get introduced to new situations, you just get exposed to things outside the classroom. And, 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 and people have heard me say this before, but, you know, when I look at somebody's resume, I expect that they did well in class, but I really look at those extracurricular activities and what they did. You know, are they making movies on the weekend? Are they, did they belong to clubs? Because those are, you know, the people that driven people are people they get involved with a lot. So, and that's important, certainly in our business. So switching gears slightly, after you graduated from BU and were looking to break into the industry, how did you decide what you wanted to do? 
What was your first post-grad job and how did you get it? Well, I decided I needed to get a job in the business. And so that was kind of the goal. Like, uh, okay, how do I get a job in this business now? And so I ended up actually, uh, the summer I graduated, I think I worked on two or three different scenarios, uh, projects that I all did for no pay. I worked for uh, a television personality there, a guy named Rex Trailer, who was kind of like a Mr. Rogers of Boston. And he had a uh, actually an, a, a workshop that he ran in the evenings and he needed somebody to run the camera. So I did that. He didn't pay me, but you know I was around him and got some experience as a cameraman. I put together my own uh, music television show on cable TV. I took some of my, uh, my friends uh, from college and we would go and shoot bands around Boston. We'd bring them into the studio and we had a, I think it was every other week, uh, music show from uh, Warner Cable in Somerville, Massachusetts. So I got a producing credit and, you know, we just, we did it with the, the gear they gave it to us and it was, it was, I did it for the credit. And then at the end of the summer, um, there was a big fundraiser called the Footlight Parade and uh, it was a big fundraiser for Boston and I helped the producer put it together and through that I met a couple of freelance cameramen and they were so impressed with how, how hard I worked because I literally I was working 24-7 for about three weeks. I'll never forget I ended up sleeping on the producer's floor a couple times because we were working so hard and uh, they said, you know, are you interested in a job? I said, yes, I am and so I, uh, they hired me. And, um, uh, that was, you know, I answer, I, I, they hired me to answer their telephone and that's what I did. And then they hired me, they taught me how to be a sound man and then a cameraman and then production manager and so on. But it literally was, you know, whoever has a job, I'll do what, do anything. Yeah. I think that's a really great idea that a lot of our listeners, especially any film and television students listening could find great value in. It's also very impressive that you were producing your own content so early out of college. Well, I think that's what it is, is that you can, you know, as you with your friends, you can go produce, you can write, you can direct, you can do that, whatever. And is anybody going to pay me a lot of money to direct right out of college? Probably not, unless I have a lot of directing credits. But, um, you know, within a couple of years working at this company called Multivision, they, they actually let me direct something. And I was like, okay, well, I've done directing a little bit and here's a new opportunity. So I think you need to be really resourceful. But of course, they didn't pay me to direct the day I walked in. They paid me to answer the telephone. But, you know, then they, they said, well, what do you want to do? And, you know, what, what other, th- we have this job and it was, a, it was a small company and it was very busy. So whatever came in the door, they, I just had to kind of, they, we would sit around and say, okay, who's going to do this? Somebody has to produce this. Somebody has to direct this. Who's going to do it? So I felt, I feel very lucky from that standpoint, but you know, you gotta be, you gotta be um, hungry and willing to kind of try and do anything that's kind of thrown at you. That's, that's been a theme song through most of my career. So looking back on your career and how you got to where you are now, do you think that there was a singular decision that changed the course of your career? Unquestionably, and as I look back at it, the decision to actually take a staff job at HBO without question was the fork in the road. And um, I was hesitant to take the fork, um, but in hindsight, it was probably the best thing I ever did. And I think what was significant about it was I really enjoyed being out in the field in the same way that one plays music with musicians. And there's an energy comes around that. I really enjoyed the creative energy of being on a set and being like right in the midst of working with creative people. 
Um, but this opportunity for the job uh, to be the head of production of the films group at the time came up. And uh, I'd been literally traveling around the world for almost a decade, uh, just over a decade. And um, I never really wanted a corporate job. My father worked for DuPont and didn't really enjoy the politics and everything else associated with it. So I was very hesitant to do it. But um, my wife and I, or my wife had our first son and it was like, well, I'll try this job out for a year or two and kind of see what happens. And, you know, I've spent the better part of my career at HBO. It's allowed me to have a family life and an incredible work life and also to be involved with some of the some of the best quality programming and productions over the last couple of decades. In your current role as senior vice president of West Coast Productions at HBO, what does a typical day look like for you, if that even exists? Is there anything unexpected about your job that others might not be aware of? I think a typical day for me is just that it's not typical. And so um, that's one of the reasons I like it. Um, I don't do the same thing day in and day out. And the and because there are so many things that come up and challenges, that kind of keeps it interesting. I'm, I'm really, really, really bored. I think from the, the standpoint of what, what has happened for me is that my job has evolved and continues to evolve. And that's probably what people don't, when most people presume you get a job, here's your job responsibilities, and you go do it every day. And that's, I mean, I've spent the better part of my 25 plus years at HBO figuring out, well, what is my job this week? What is my job this month? What is my job this year? Because the company continues to evolve. And so therefore, I've had the great fortune of being able to evolve with it and for people to give me opportunities as things come up. And, and I think that that's what's kept it interesting. I think if it was the same job that I took uh, 25 plus years ago, I, w- I don't think I would still be at HBO. I would have moved on to something else because I, there's, there's, you know, you want to be challenged, you want to be stimulated. And as much as there's anxiety with that, that's what kind of keeps people, keeps me motivated um, for sure. So, um, you know, cut to now, I mean, um, certainly I'm running the production groups for a while, still involved with some projects, but about 10 years ago, as we were starting up Game of Thrones, they needed somebody to do get involved with the government and incentive side of things. And so uh, as these incentives in our industry now, which there are almost 100 around the world, have grown, I kind of I became part of my job. And so all of a sudden, besides just worrying about productions, I'm talking to different government leaders. I'm talking to people inside the government. I'm talking to mayors. I'm talking to economic people. I'm talking to governors. Um, I'm talking to um, uh, prime ministers. So that's been kind of a fascinating journey, which I never expected. Um, and then literally, uh, it's about three weeks ago in the middle of this uh, crisis. And the woman I work for says, Jay, we need you to you know, help run and figure out this back to work. How are we going to get everybody back up and working again, coming out of the, the, the pandemic right now? And so, um, you know, the, the virus didn't even wasn't even around what right a few months ago and all of a sudden now it's literally 80 percent of my time on a daily basis right now so that's kind of what production is what comes along you you have to put the hat on you got to figure it out and um it's part of the fun and the challenge and i've had a few sleepless nights but you know what that's what i get paid to do you mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic, and I wanted to hear your thoughts about how you think this will affect television production in the next year or so. Do you anticipate any long-term impacts on the industry? Well, television production is moving forward. 
right? You're watching things on television. You're watching the news. Um, you're watching some talk shows that have come back and variations on that. You're seeing things like the Disney sing-along. You're seeing concerts being put together on, on, on television. You're seeing people perform out of their living rooms, etc., doing shows from their homes and houses and, 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 and dens and front yards. So um, that's something I, you know, that's, again, you know, we're, we're creative people. And so when, when obstacles come up, really creative people, you figure a way around them, through them, or, or, or working with them. So uh, I think that because this virus is going to be around for a while, that we, are, we will have to adjust to the virus. And so we will be working in different ways. Um, and yet, you know, obviously we have a product to put out, we wanna make content and so on and so forth, but it is gonna, it's going to make all of us have to think differently. And the idea of coming to work in a mask and gloves um, to have to be tested potentially, um, these are, these, all the, these things are with us now for a while. And so we're going to have to figure out how to do production, which by its nature tends not to be something that it's easy to self-distance in. Um, and by the you know collaborative, creative collaborative process, you work very closely with people, right? Very often in tight rooms, um, in studios, um, actors have to, you know, be, be close to each other uh, in order to perform, even the crew does. And so we're going to have to figure out how to do those things in this new world. And you're going to see a lot of creative people um, come up with a lot of creative ideas and solutions. So speaking of creative ideas, I want to go back to HBO for a bit. Getting a series produced for HBO is very likely a goal for many of our students and alumni. Are there specific project details that you look for when it comes to developing a new series at HBO? Well, again, to be clear, I don't pick the ideas, um, but I work with the people that do pick the ideas. And I think that in this day, in this day and time, you know, there, there, there are two or three things that immediately jump to mind. One is that the product is of very high quality, uh, and by that nature, that it's written very well, or if it hasn't been written yet, that you're going to have very high quality um, people involved with it. And certainly on the um, creative side, when people come and pitch us things, you know, the innate sense of who's involved is very, very important. Um, and people tend to have very strong track records, um, and have just very, very strong creative instincts. Um, because we, you know, you, you want to be, you, you want to be something, do something that's literally shooting for the stars and, um, you need, you need people with a lot, tend to have a lot of experience and having gone down that path somewhat before, or certainly elements of that. Usually what we look for is something that on the creative side, either the showrunner or the writer or the director one of those, or potentially cast, are something that's really going to drive the creative process and also then drive the marketing and distribution because people will want to tune into it or look at it because so-and-so is involved. And then on the production side, um, you know, we ideally you're working with people that understand that these are big, ambitious projects and that, you know, you don't have all the money in the world. We like to, We certainly like to give people a fair amount of money and for people to do it well. But there's a limit to everything, and so the idea of, you know, working hand in hand with production uh, just makes it a lot easier all the way around. So that as obstacles come up, that creative people are willing to embrace the obstacles, and we're here to help and solve them, but to work with them and not against them. 
Um, and, and the reality is these projects now have become very, very large. And the reality of, of shooting for 100 or 150 days for months on end with, you know, large crews of anywhere from, you know, 100 to 500 people, these are giant operations. And so the idea of, of having everybody work together and in sync um, is extremely, extremely important. And I really do believe at the end of the day that creative people that understand the production process and work with the production process, by and large, it just makes for a better product. I think there's two projects immediately that come to mind, both Game of Thrones and something maybe, you know, a smaller scale Curb Your Enthusiasm. But both, the, you know, the people, David and Dan that ran Game of Thrones and even Larry David, these are people that are incredibly gifted, creative people. But they also understand that, you know, you need a large crew and you need to tell them what to do and how to work with them and be sensitive to them. And I think that to have people like that that you get to work with, it motivates the people in the crew. It brings people together. Um, and it, I, I think in the long run, that's really what makes for a great creative product. Very well said. There's a lot of advice out there about what it takes to make it, quote unquote, in the entertainment industry. In your opinion, are there necessary traits or skills that you think are keys to success in television? Yeah, there's two or three that come to mind. One, I think you need to be motivated. You need to be a self-starter. You need to be driven. You need to get up in the morning and not necessarily expect to have somebody tell you exactly what to do. That, that is really, really, really important as a, as a driving influence. Number two, I think the ability to work with people and collaborate is also extremely important because yes maybe the writer or the the an artist kind of has to go off into a room by themselves and maybe the editor on occasion you know you have to do things on your own so again that's where the motivation comes in but at the end of the day the and it's kind of also what attracted me to the television side of things and production side you know the idea of getting hundreds of people working together in sync um pretty spectacular if you can make it happen but that is a giant collaboration. And so people have got to understand how to work together. And you need to know your part. Um, you need to know how to communicate with people. You need, to have to, you need to understand how to listen to people. All of those things, you know, um, those are skills in and of themselves. Be, be able to, to listen to people, be able to communicate with people effectively and clearly. So, um, I, you know, th those are probably the two things that I think are, are most important is, is that certain sense of drive. And, and, it, and you know, as much as I, I with almost jokingly say in sixth grade, I knew what I wanted to do. I actually really didn't. I mean, that was it's just a, it's funny that that happened to be some connecting point that I discovered after all those years. But I certainly didn't go through high school or even college saying I wanted to grow up to be a TV executive. I didn't even know what a TV executive was. I kind of made that up. And so you, you have to be okay with not necessarily knowing the answer, but still moving forward, but doing it in a, in a, in a way that's collaborative, that makes people want you to want, want them to be around you and you to be around them. I think that is very helpful advice and something our listeners could definitely benefit from hearing. So you spoke about the large scale collaboration of the programs you oversee. In your view, what would you say is different about producing a half hour comedy like Insecure compared to an hour long drama like Game of Thrones? Well, to be, to be honest, it really is just scale at that point. Um, and even back in my early producing days when I was still line producing, you know, what you need to understand is what is the vision of the filmmaker? 
or the showrunner. And your job as a producer and our job as a, as a production group is to build the structure to allow that vision to be realized. So um, in the case of something like Insecure, which is a present day um, you know, comedy here in Los Angeles, okay, I need to hire people who understand how to get find locations in L.A., how to cast in L.A. You need to find the right kind of crew to support Issa Rae and what she's trying to do. As opposed to David and Dan's vision for Game of Thrones, which was a period uh, piece. And so we needed to hire the right people and shoot in the right location. I'm not going to shoot Game of Thrones in Los Angeles, right? I need to go to where it's best suited, right? Which was because it wasn't a true story. That world didn't even exist. So where, where's a location or an environment where it can, it's going to play to, to that. So all of those decisions go into creating the right infrastructure. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to create the structure around the vision of the filmmaker. And so that's by talking to them and understanding and, you know, they, they, and, and sometimes, and, and in the case of TV series, sometimes you don't have a lot of scripts. So you just need to understand what it is the vision is and then build the structure in, in and around that. And that's part of the, the anxiety and the fun. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting framework to look at producing. It's great to hear it broken down like that. So you've had a very successful career in the industry. Was there ever a moment when you knew that this was the right path for you? Yeah, I think there were I think there were moments when I've had things where I kind of said this really feels like a special moment. Um, I remember when I was still in Boston, one of the last things I ever did with a group in Boston was, um, at the time, Barbara Walters had a very famous interview show and she interviewed Walter Cronkite, uh, down in, um, uh, Martha's Vineyard and we all traveled down there. And that was a really, at the time, Walter Cronkite was still alive and Barbara Walters was extremely important person. And then I felt like, yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. Plus I was working with people from LA and New York and I was like, this is the kind of people I want to work around. So that was, that was certainly a moment for me. I think um, getting to work with Madonna on Truth or Dare was another moment for me in a sense of being utilizing my music background, my documentary background, my feature background, and all of those things kind of coming together and understanding how to work with musicians and how to do music and shoot music. And it was, it was a great utilization of all these different kinds of productions I had done. And then finally, I think Game of Thrones, without question, to work on something of that kind of scale, which, again, you start every show and every project wanting it to be something that's, in a sense, going to be really good, right? Um, but to realize that I had an opportunity to work on something that you know, just impacted television the way that it did, uh, that people around the world saw it. I mean, to this day, you can pretty much go anywhere in the world while we were doing that show and people had seen it or heard about it. Uh, just to be part of that process, uh, I just feel very honored um, to have been able to contribute to something like that. So those are all moments that kind of stand out as just being yeah, it's pretty special. And I feel just lucky to be here, to be a part of that. So we've spent the majority of the episode talking about your past, but now I want to look towards the future. What do you think the next five to 10 years will look like for you? Well, I've had to do this my entire career. Like, what's our business going to be like in five to 10 years? And so uh, right now, it's the, the pandemic is certainly affecting the way we do things. And so that's kind of jolting us in some ways into the future. I think we're more reliant on technology than ever. 
Um, HBO now being part of Warner Media, being part of AT&T. So um, going from working for HBO with 3,000 people to a company of 300,000 people is kind of a, a, a jolt. Um, but to be working for a media company at this time and age, um, just absolutely fascinating. And how this all plays out in the streaming world, HBO Max, um, obviously we'll be launching later this month and to see how that plays out. Um, and to, to really, in the way that almost this, the virus has connected us all globally, not that we weren't connected before, but there's no question we're now all connected. I think the virus has brought us together in one way, but now from a technology standpoint, there's no question that we're all connected. So, you know, it's living in this global world and how we produce content and how we communicate with each other and how we all work with each other. And, you know, how does my job fit into that? So um, it's been fascinating the last few weeks, literally having to call people that I know around the world to find out how they're doing production, to be able to pick up a phone and realize I'm, you know, one phone call away from somebody in almost every country that I can get information um, has been fascinating. Uh, I had those connections, but I didn't really have to utilize them the way that I have over the last couple months. And then just to see how I'm using technology, doing this podcast today, I feel like this is almost normal. I'm, I've been, I'm in, I've been on so many webinars and Zoom calls and team meetings and podcasts and so on. It's like second nature now. I don't even think about it. So I feel, and I, you know, in some ways, um, it's it's easier isn't the right word, but it's certainly making communications uh, easier on some level of, of me, as opposed to me having to travel to Boston to sit in a room with a group of students. I got on the, you know, we did a a Zoom meeting a couple weeks ago. I was like, I'm talking to everybody and they're kind of spread around the world. I, and it was no big deal. I think I just did it. It was no big deal. You know, even today, making the, getting the uh, podcast together, we had a little technical thing at the top and I was like, you know what? Take a couple minutes, click on a couple buttons and it's going to work. And uh, I think we're all in, in a new mind space that way. So where the, you know, where that leads me, don't know, but I like, I kind of like, I like the search and I like the journey and um, it's going to be fascinating, I, you know. So I think more global production is of great interest to me. I, I, I just, I like figuring things out in different countries. I like working with different cultures and working with people in that shape. So I would, I would hope that I, you know, to be more involved with more global production ever would be certainly the way I'd like to finish my career. Speaking of finishing your career, is there anything else that you're still striving to achieve? Um, maybe to, uh, maybe enjoy the journey just a little bit more. Um, and not, you know, I, it, it, we, this is a stressful business and there's a lot of anxiety around it and so on and so forth. And that, you know, that's part of the drive, but I think to simply enjoy things and enjoy working with people and appreciate the people I get to work with, um, is certainly, a, 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 a big component of it. Um, and again, you know, it, it, this I, I early in my career I did a lot of traveling. When I was at HBO for the better part of it, uh, with the family, I didn't do a lot of traveling. I'm a traveler once in a while, but both of my boys now are out in the working world, and the ability to go out and work on these productions and and get through the, this virus and get back out there and and travel and, and help people out on productions around the world, I think would certainly be uh, be a fun uh, a fun thing to continue doing. I think that is a great way to wrap up the episode. Jay, I can't thank you enough for being on the Proud to Be You podcast today and sharing your thoughts and advice with me. 
It was great talking with you. Thank you so much. And BU left an indelible print on me and my career and what it's done for me. And um, I like to give back. And I hope this inspires a few people to, you know, to push ahead with their career and, and make something happen. Absolutely. I think it will. Excellent. Thanks again to Jay Rowey for being on the podcast. As a recent comm graduate, I really appreciated his advice for alumni who hope to break into the industry. And as a huge fan of shows like Insecure, I know we're all looking forward to seeing what you produce next. Great job, Rukia, and thank you so much for all of your excellent contributions to this podcast. My thanks to Jay as well for being our guest and for all of the guidance he offers BU in several leadership roles. And again, that's a wrap on season two of Proud to Be You. If you have any feedback to share with us, I'd love to hear it. So send me a note at jtmurphy at bu.edu. And to all of our listeners, we wish you a safe and healthy summer. On behalf of everyone on the BU Alumni Relations team, thanks so much for listening to Proud to Be You. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you find your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast.